0: Welcome back to Mathematically Speaking, I'm your host, Adam Allred. And I've been trying to record these, the seasons after season zero in bulk, so that I can just um, upload them, put a release date, and then I can continue on the other seasons. This, this season I have I have done that as well, so I'm having to record these last few episodes and upload them right away, so this one's being recorded on June 4th, and I know it's bad to date your content, but that's this is fine. Um, the events that have been happening in the U.S. the last few days have definitely th- uh, gotten me sick to my stomach a few times. And so with the small platform that I do have um, I feel like I have to say something and so I feel like the best thing I could do is to offer the beginning of this episode up as a moment of silence that will last for 8 minutes and 46 seconds I encourage you to sit in the silence If you haven't donated and you can, um, you can find a Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter um, page that will have links to funds that you can donate to um, in the uh, show notes for this episode. If you haven't signed any petitions, I encourage you to do that. Those are quick and easy. can't stop you from skipping ahead, but I hope you don't. So in um, memory of George Floyd, rest in power. There's nine minutes of silence. If you sat through that silence, thank you. So let's get on with the show. Today when mathematical research is done, it is rarely done by a single person using the tools of a single subject. Mathematicians usually work in teams, with each one specializing in the subject whose tools are necessary to solve the problem at hand. If the problems have to do with discrete algebraic structures, this just means that the structure is countable. Uh, the obvious is that we would need an algebraist, but depending on the kind of structure, we may also need someone who specializes in topology, which you can think of as if algebra and geometry had a baby, and then depending on the problem, we may need a common tourist, which is someone who counts combinations, and it sounds simple, but it's, just, you know, it's very deceiving in that way. Um, we, may, we may need three different branches of math to come together to solve a single problem. We are lucky now because we have access to all of those subjects. On this episode, we will be covering the accomplishments of two mathematical giants from Alexandria. Then at the end, I will try to tie in some modern significance, since these last few episodes have been more historical and philosophical, and I know a lot of you like the modern episodes a bit more. I thought that these would be sort of fun episodes as a way to highlight the incredible things that they were able to accomplish with just knowing one subject of math. I've been bashing geometry a bit lately, so I needed to give it a chance for redemption. We begin with a quick look at the lesser giant of the episode, Eratosthenes. He was the first person to measure the circumference of the Earth, and his method was brilliant. This is one of those times that I wish I could offer a visual which I may put in the transcript when I get to posting those and finishing the website, but I will do my best, like always. He knew the distance from his city to a nearby city, and then dug a hole in the ground. Since the sun was shining directly into this hole, he knew that the rays of the sun were striking at the earth perpendicularly. If they were coming at an angle, that wouldn't be true. Also, since the sun is far enough away, he also knows that the sun's rays are all parallel to each other, and this comes from the fifth postulate of Euc- from Euclid's elements. Using this in the distance from the two cities, he was able to find the angle made from the hole in the ground down to the center of the earth, and back up to the other city. This gave him a ratio for the distance from the two cities to the circumference of the earth. He came up with a measurement of 250,000 stades. Now a stade was 625 Roman feet, or an eighth of a mile. So this is about 39,690 kilometers. Today, uh, we have the measurement of 40,075 kilometers. He was 99% accurate, which is absolutely incredible that method is impressive, but it's, slight, it's it seems a little much. His other big feat was known as the sieve of Aristosthenes. A sieve is just a, a, like a sifter, um, so you can imagine that you're sifting some silt looking for gold. And you know that the gold pieces will be bigger than the sand you're sifting it. you are know, That's the sand that's around it. So when you sift out the sand, you are only left with the gold. This idea can be translated for a method for finding prime numbers um, and for not very large numbers, it works really really well. So we take a group of numbers, sift them out, and we're only left with the primes. You start with taking a list of numbers like 1 to 100. Cancel out every number that is even, uh, since it divides by 2, which is the smallest prime number then you cancel every other number that divides by three sometimes these numbers overlap up a bit which is okay and then you repeat for 5 7 11 etc and all the primes that are less than the square root of in the last number of your list so we would actually stop at 7 since the uh, square root of 100 is 10 and the closest prime the, the the smallest prime to 10 is seven any number left after we do all this sifting after we sift out Um, numbers divisible by 2, 3, 5, and 7, all those numbers that are left are prime numbers. Now this is a simple method, but it's highly effective. But we need to know the square root of the final number to do it. So while this works great, as soon as we get primes that have maybe 26,000 digits, then it stops working as effectively. And of course now those researchers working on prime numbers Today, we'll be using computers that work as the sieve, but the method is still the same. Like I said, we're going to quickly go through Aristosthenes, and that's about it for him. Only two, me- only, uh, two big achievements, but there are, some, there are some significant ones there. The next giant of the episode is arguably one of the greatest, greatest scientific minds of all time, and most definitely of the ancient world, Archimedes. He accomplished an insane amount of things. Some of them I will skip over due to their geometric and visual nature, and I couldn't figure out a way to describe them audibly. But let's start with Eureka. It means I've found it in Latin. The legend goes that the king wanted to know how much gold and how much silver was in his crown. One obvious way would be to melt it down and just look. But then you wouldn't have a crown anymore and a king can't be without a crown so archimedes went about trying to find a way to find the volume of the crown because if he knew the volume then he could decipher how much of each metal was in the crown since he knew the density of the metals already it goes that he took uh, the rest of it goes that he took a bath with the crown for some reason and in a stroke of brilliance he noticed that whatever he put in the tub the volume of that object would be displaced in, in the water. When he made this discovery, he supposedly jumped out of the tub, ran down the street entirely naked, yelling, Eureka! I have found it! He also discovered buoyancy, uh, probably also while taking a bath. He figured out how to manipulate objects and objects that are of gravity, which is how levers work. He's quoted as saying, Give me, give me where to stand, and I will move the earth. Which is pretty gnarly, I think, mathematics aside. But moving on, he also found out how to find the area of a circle using only triangles. And he has a spiral named after him. So here's another little thought experiment. If you have a record playing some music, like an old school record player. And there's a bug on the record walking forward as the record spins. The path of the bug is called an Archimedes Spiral. This spiral is also sometimes called the Golden Spiral, since its proportions give us the golden ratio mentioned in previous episodes. He found the ratio between spheres and cones and cylinders. The volumes of the sphere and cone will equal the volume of the cylinder when those two are added. And lastly, he estimated the number of grains of sand in the universe. Universe has to be taken with a grain of salt. However, uh, this is the universe of the ancient Greek cosmology, not our current understanding of the phrase. And I wasn't able to find the method that he used for this anywhere, um, but he came up with an upper bound of ten to the sixty-third power. That's ten with sixty-three zeros after it, and for scale, that's a trillion. A trillion has f- 12 zeros after that so that's a trillion a trillion followed by five more trillions and then another thousand it is absolutely massive and he was clearly a genius uh, but he did more he did one more thing that was important for the culture of mathematics he broke plato's hold on math just a bit just enough Remember that Plato had his rules for doing math, that, that it had to be done with nothing but a straight edge and a compass, and that straight edge was not allowed to have any markings on it? This caused some problems uh, to become apparently impossible, but Archimedes was able to see past this ridiculous rule, and so he put one mark on the straight edge, just to prove the point. And with this one tick mark, he's able to solve several of those un- of those impossible problems, including trisecting an angle. It's just cutting an angle into equal thirds. Now for some more time traveling. Let's go back to those prime numbers. They've been in two episodes now in a significant way, and they're going to be in more. They're part of the math bible, and people have been spending centuries trying to find them all. They're sort of like mathematical Pokemon, except we can't find them all. This may seem obvious because there's an infinite number of them, but that's not why because they don't seem to have a pattern we don't have a formula for them if we had a formula even though there's an infinite number of them we could just plug in whatever is needed and a prime number would spit out and we'd have a way to find them all we'd find whatever one we wanted the largest prime number that we have is a is, is a mercene prime which is a it's a prime number you take two raise it to a prime power Um, And then you subtract 1 from it, because it's it's likely that a power of 2, one number below that, is going to be a prime, since powers of 2 obviously aren't, because 2 divides them. So the largest one that we have is 2 to the power of 82,000, no, sorry, 2 to the power of 82,589,933. Minus one. This number has twenty-four thousand eight hundred sixty-two forty-eight digits. This number is huge. I tried to find it. I tried to find it entirely written out, but I couldn't. And so it lists digits. And then it says skipping a couple hundred thousand, and then it lists some more. And then it says skipped the last couple hundred thousand. Uh, so in a search for the formula of all these prime numbers, we have started splitting them into different kinds like Mersenne primes. If a bunch of primes all behave the same way, then we can group them together and we're one step closer to finding a formula for those for all of them. Now a lot of the time the formula of sort, uh, sorts is put into a supercomputer, and then the computer just tests different numbers against that formula and determines if it's a prime or not using the sieve that was mentioned at the top of the show. But why does this matter? Why are we doing this? besides mathematicians besides mathematicians being the biggest nerds and just wanting to know out of curiosity there's a potential cybersecurity application to prime numbers Not a potential one there is a is there is a cybersecurity application to prime numbers in those movies where someone is hacking into some super secure government site or something and they just show them typing away and running algorithms in green code that looks like the matrix and then they get the dramatic the the dramatic music when They turn and say, I'm in. What are those algorithms doing? They're just factoring numbers. That's it. The simple doesn't always mean easy. A large part of firewalls are layers and layers of large numbers, like hundreds of thousands of digits long numbers. But if you can factor a number, then you can create, quote-unquote, holes in the walls, and you can, quote-unquote, get in this means that knowing if a number is prime is very important if it's prime then you know its factors right away one and then that number this lets you save so 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 much time in computing and if it isn't a prime number then you start dividing by primes right away you don't have to you don't have to keep you don't have to start dividing by primes just to find out that it's a prime number you already know that there's something that divides it so you use the sieve you take the square root check all the primes less than that and it's, if you're using a supercomputer, that's quick. So there's a race to find a formula for prime numbers. Because this is sort of like a spy movie. Get it in the wrong hands. Who knows what could happen? Thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.